0: The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats, let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes of being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. A church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The poor business country gave in. Gave in to public pressure, gave in to political correctness, one of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with, is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have an interesting subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon. Go ahead, hit that follow button. Thanks. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Like our fan page on Facebook, when you type in the search bar, the at symbol, mighty fortress 313 and of course if you do like to listen to youtube we do have a youtube channel there where we upload our podcast be sure to find the channel which can be kind of tricky so you have to put in our mighty fortress podcast and try to find it because sometimes the, the song will come up which is fine but be you know feel free to hit the subscribe button and of course like the video if you do like the content You can, of course, check out our website, OurMightyFortress.com. There, you can actually get the link to the YouTube channel, which might be a little bit easier, by the way. But there, we'll have articles and videos and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. And, of course, if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and our established PayPal link. By following and supporting the podcast, You let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I want to talk about what I call the strong man's plight. When we think of a strong man, we can have images of a bodybuilder taking the platform, showing off his biceps or some massive guy or even woman picking up some extreme heavy weight. Or maybe you can think about the Marvel comics and the superhero, the Hulk. In both of these examples, they're kind of at two ends of reality. But I want to talk about a real person who had a significant story carved out for him in the Bible. His name was Samson. And he was definitely no green monstered Hulk, but a man that God had gifted with incredible strength, and puts him much in line with such characters. Now, a plight is a difficult, dangerous, or an unfortunate situation. We're going to talk about the plight of Samson and the principles from his utterly amazing story. We'll first look at the examples from his life and what seems to be the unbelievable situations that he's put in. We'll also see the mercy and grace of God as the man deals with what the Apostle Paul calls in the New Testament the thorn in the flesh. From here, we're going to see overarching characteristics come forth. In fact, much of his plight is one that plagues every single man that has ever lived. With that introduction, let's get right into this. We won't read every aspect of the story, and as we're going through the podcast, take time to read the story for the full context. The story begins in the book of Judges in the Old Testament in chapter 13, and this is with a man named Manoah and his wife who get visited by the angel of the Lord. There are some that state that, well, this was definitely a pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ himself. Well, while that's certainly possible, I tend to believe that this was a, just an angel sent by God. We see that he's also called the angel of God, not just the angel of the Lord as well. Proponents of the pre-incarnate Christ view will say that the angel's name is secret, like Jesus' divine name is secret, as given in Revelation chapter 19. I would also say again, certainly, that's possible, but we also have to keep in mind that the angels' names in general were kept secret by God until after Israel was taken into captivity later on in the kingdom stage. It would only be during the prophet Daniel do we learn anything about the names of the Holy Ones besides the fallen one himself named Satan or Satan, the accuser in Hebrew. Before that point, Israel was just too prone to idolatry, much like You read throughout the entire book of Judges. So the angel's name was kept secret. The angel of God put some very interesting requirements upon the child that Manoah's wife was going to have. She herself was not to eat or drink anything that comes from grapes, nor wine or grape juice, nor strong drink, which is the alcoholic version. She wasn't to eat anything unclean as well. These same requirements were placed upon the child Samson and a part of the Nazarite vow that he would keep until his death. Samson was definitely a pretty significant character in the Bible and he's the only one in the book of Judges that has more chapters written about him and his life. It's almost as if God wants us to take some notes and learn from the situations that this man was put in and put himself in. I want to zero in on Judges chapter 13 and verse 25, which says, quote, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol, end quote. The Spirit is capitalized here, which means it's actually the Holy Spirit of God that came down and moved Samson. It also says at times, which means it only was for specific events. This would be the primary means that God would impart His Spirit in the Old Testament. You could also say that Samson was moved at times because, (laughs) at times, Samson was moved by sin. You don't see the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers until the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. When the Holy Spirit came down upon certain believers, in the old in the old testament there was generally some sort of significant event taking place this of course is outside of the moving of the writers of the various old testament books which of course god would use the holy spirit to help pen these stories and these biblical books for us today we don't exactly know how old samson was in the next chapter chapter 14 of judges but he was old enough to be interested in marriage with women. We also see the first negative mention of Samson about his choice of women, which was that of the Philistines. Israel was not supposed to take wives of the pagans because they would lead the men towards idolatry. Now, this was, of course, true with women in Israel too, taking men uh, of the pagans for husbands. This was already fully known, and I'm sure it was taught by the priests in the nation of Israel. Something changed in this boy to desire the things that he could not have. Think about it for a moment. Were the women of Israel that goofy looking or something? (laughs) No, I don't think that was the case at all. Rather, the Philistine women were supposed to be off limits, and he wanted... What he could not have. We are also presented with him at this time having full knowledge that he had superhuman strength, and the knowledge of what gave him this strength through his Nazarite vow, and especially more specifically his hair. Also in verse four, it says, quote, "But his father and his mother knew that it was not of the that it was of the Lord." that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. End quote. The he is referencing the Lord, and he would use Samson's lust to ultimately provoke the enemies of God. Now this is very interesting to just park on for a moment. It's not that God robbed him of some sort of free will choice. It's just that God used the fact that Samson was going to sin to provoke the enemies of Israel. So, either way, God was going to get the glory out of this, and he would use this situation to stir up the enemies of Israel. It didn't excuse Samson for his crudeness and rudeness and choices of sin that he would do throughout his life. But either, either way, God would use these certain events to get the glory in the end, and ultimately deliver Israel. On Samson's way to the city of Timnath to go get himself a Philistine wife, a young lion met him and wanted to have him for lunch. This is an instance where we see the Spirit of the Lord come upon Samson, and it says, mightily. Samson would rip the lion to pieces with his bare hands and then just continue on his way to Timnath, which is kind of funny in a way. After he talked to his potential wife-to-be, he came back to the area where he killed the lion. We can see some of the rebellion rise up within him because not only did he go against his parents' wishes to the Philistine city, he's going to wrong them even more with what comes next. He noticed that the lion carcass had a swarm of bees and honey in it. Not only did he eat of the honey, he took some home to give to his parents, and he didn't tell them about it. Now, you have to consider this. This is a very strange story, and I'm going to explain it. But you have to think about the man at the moment, a lion is unclean meat by Jewish standards. And, of course, anything that resides in or touches anything unclean, it then becomes unclean itself. So the fact that there was honey inside it, inside the animal carcass, didn't make it clean to take, which, by the way, is awfully strange for him to do anyways. It's just to take and eat of it, right? But you have to understand his mentality He's walking in the flesh at this particular time. And he then goes to take this unclean honey, by the way, and give it to his parents and not tell him anything about it. Now, this is pretty messed up because he would know that the lion was unclean, much like every other common Jewish person during the law. You'd have to ask the question, why would he choose to do that to his parents? Samson's trespasses were deep. Uh, and his contempt for authority, by the way. The story goes on, but you have to ask another set of questions about the whole situation with the lion and what God meant by it. Nothing is by chance, and the Lord was trying to paint a picture for us to read today, though I seriously doubt that Samson himself actually realized this. He's just going through and he's fulfilling essentially the lust of the flesh. Samson ultimately represents the stubbornness and rebellion of Israel, especially in the time of Judges. Despite being strong and mighty because God giving uh, the nation strength, the strength was contingent upon certain rules laid down at the foundation of the nation, much like the rules that were laid down for Samson's strength at his birth. The Holy Spirit of God would come upon Samson, and this too would represent Israel with the power of God against her enemies, and that lion, or the Philistines, would be defeated and utterly rent in pieces. Despite Israel's rebellion and breaking the law, much like Samson's taking of the honey to his parents, that honey would represent the good that will come out of the destruction of the Philistines. The fact that the honey was marred by touching the unclean lion matches Israel that they came out from the Philistines, but they're still going to bear the scars of where they came from. There are certain there are certainly, you know, different ways that you could take this illustration. But the imagery is pretty clear of at least God, Israel, and the Philistines as the main parties in context. The story would carry on with his parents ultimately throwing a wedding party for the Philistine woman and Samson. Thirty men would come along and Samson would provoke them by asking them a riddle. They make a wager on it as well and they can't figure out the riddle. It was only by the Philistine men getting Samson's wife to wail and moan and complain that he would spill the secret to the riddle with her, and then she would in turn tell the men. This is an interesting foreshadowing of what would happen to him later. You'd figure that you know this event would definitely be etched in his mind, but it doesn't. He will go out in another city, kill 30, uh, 30 Philistine men, and then spoil bring back the spoil to pay the other Philistine men which you can you can see the anger uh the anger problem right there I mean whether or not they're the enemies of God you just don't go kill people indiscriminately right we already see three issues spring forth from this story already we see rebellion uncontrollable anger and lust this is still pretty early in the story but the pattern emerges now when he had finished giving his prize to those he had to well, to those who had figured out the puzzle he just left his new wife and went back to his father's house yes he just left his new wife there at her father's house which is insane verse 20 of that same chapter states quote but Samson's wife was given to his companion whom he had used as his friend, end quote. Now, this is pretty strange, given chapter 15 states that Samson was pretty much gone for a while, which can be summed up to around a month or even, you know, or a little more, that there was a season change. He comes back to visit his wife, and her father said that he gave her to his friend. He ends up getting mad about that catches 300 foxes and use their tails to set the philistine cornfields their vineyards and their olives afire. this is going to obviously tick off the philistines and they're going to come out in mass to try to kill him this is where you're going to see the first major battle against the, Phil- the philistines the first group comes out in verses six through eight which says quote, then the philistines said who had done this and they answered samson the the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given, given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. Now get that. The Philistines came and murdered uh, Samson's wife and her family. It goes on in verse 7. And Samson said to them, Though ye have done this, I will, or yet will I be avenged of you. And after that, I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt at the top of the rock of Edom. Quote. And even after all of that, you're going to have another army come out to meet him. In verse 9, it says, quote, Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves and lay It was at this point that the men of the tribe of Judah were scared of the Philistine army sitting and encamped all around. And they would rather to choose to turn one of their own people into the heathen. They came to bind Samson, and Samson just kind of played along with them, uh, as long as they would promise that they would not try to kill him themselves. They would bind him up, uh, even though he, he what was about to come next. They, they would just turn him in over to or turn him over to the Philistine army. And it says in verse 14, quote. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that were burnt with fire, and his bands loosened from off his hands, meaning that whatever they tied him up with just came loose because he's super strong, obviously. You have to imagine that God is getting a kick out of this and delivering Israel from one of the strongest enemies at that time. The Philistines were known for being one of the first in developing iron weapons, which made them a formidable force. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson again, and he would pick up the literal jawbone of an ass or a donkey, meaning that the skeleton was sitting there, and he picked up the jawbone and then proceeded to slaughter one of the most formidable fighting forces in the Middle East. <laughs> Something else. After wiping out the army, he was thirsty. Go figure, right? And the Lord had water come out of the hollow of that same jawbone. Looking at verse 19, it says, quote, But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw and there came out water throughout and he and when he had drunk his spirit came again and he revived wherefore he called the name of or thereof echacor Ekath- which is in lehi unto this day and he judged israel in the days of the philistines 20 years and quote and of course this is talking about samson before we proceed to the final chapter of samson's story You have to think for a moment that the Philistines looking at him would have no immediate fear. I seriously don't picture Samson as some stacked muscle builder like The Rock from the professional wrestling or something. I mean, think about it. Then someone could say, well, look how he's been working on his biceps. No wonder he was as strong as he was. No, he probably looked like an average an average man who at this time might have been somewhat in shape because he had been working with his hands most of his life but we're not talking about some muscle laden kind of guy the strength that he had came from his nazarite vow and his hair which of course came from the lord i can imagine the philistines looking at him being armed to the teeth themselves, thinking, well, this is going to be easy just to run them through with our sword. Well, guess what? Joke's on them, right? The culmination of Samson's story would come in chapter 16 of Judges verses 1 through 5. It says that Samson came to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in under her. Yes, a prostitute. Then it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither, and they compassed him, and laid wait for him all night at the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, Bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried him up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her, and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him, to afflict him. And we will give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred pieces of silver. End quote. Now think about this. First part of the story, Samson goes in into a prostitute. He escapes capture, which kind of makes you wonder why they didn't jump on him when he was carrying the door. Maybe just by carrying the gates of the city and just kind of holding it, putting it on his shoulders and walking with it. They were probably just amazed and were just like, yeah, I we're not going to mess with him. <laughs> that would be quite a sight to see. You're carrying the gates of the entire city on your shoulders. And my goodness. And even if you were armed, you're probably looking at him like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to mess with that guy. And then it says he went on to love a woman whose name was Delilah, another Philistine woman. And this woman was going to sell him out. And of course it says that every one of the lords of the philistines so it could be you know it's plural there so it could be two or more said that they would give her each of them 1100 pieces of silver because remember the philistines at this time were very very rich and militarily successful given their uh, progress and metallurgy but you have to understand that the philistines were the enemies of the of the people of israel and still after all of what's been going on, Samson still chose a woman of the forbidden. I mean, this guy, you'd really have to think to yourself that, man, would he have not learned his lesson after his previous wife sold him out? I mean, come on, seriously. <laughs> his The new girlfriend of the Philistines, I i mean, she, Delilah, she's going to sell him out for money. And of course... Reading this story makes me feel like I'm reading stupid. (laughs) But isn't that what pride does to a man? Isn't that what lust does to a man who chases after things God told him not to do? In fact, sin makes you stupid. That is probably the truest statement you'll, you'll hear the entire podcast. This happens several times, and you would think that Samson would begin to get the clue that this woman was trying to kill him, but no. We see in verse number six through nine, it says, quote, And Delilah said to Samson, Please, or tell me, I pray, wherein thy great strength flieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green withes that were never dried, then I shall be weak and as an uh, and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistine brought up to her seven green withes which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Get that? She bound him with them. It was like a joke or something. Goes on in verse nine. There were men. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber, and she sent him. The Philistines be upon thee, Samson, and he break the withs as a thread of toe that is broken uh, when it toucheth the fire. So his strength was not known. End quote. Now again, this process is going to repeat several times, and we're going to come. To, which, like I said, you would think that he he get the hint, but he doesn't. We see in verses sixteen through seventeen that he just utterly tells all it says quote, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death that he told her all his heart and said unto her there hath not come a razor upon mine head for i have been a Nazarite unto god from my mother's womb if i be shaven then my strength will go from me and i shall become weak and be like any other man and when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him to sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him, but the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house End quote, this whole situation was brought about because of his rebellion, his pride and his lust and now he's truly taken captive he messed around with a woman that he should never have touched never should have been around and she deceived him and ultimately would have him captured and tortured before the Philistines why did it have to come down to this for him I'm sure that he grew up a good boy but somewhere along the line, he went astray. God would use this man, despite Samson's arrogance at times, to bring judgment upon the heathen and deliver Israel. The final part of the story is God who gets the glory. We see this in verses 22-30. through 30. It says, quote, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven, and the lords of the Philistines gathered them together to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our god hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god hath delivered into our hands our enemy in the story of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass that their hearts, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make, a, make us a sport. And he called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the, uh, between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called the Lord and said, O Lord, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I might be once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on it was borne up and one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all of his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. End quote. Such a tragic ending to this story. God orchestrated the situations of Samson's life, his power, his uplifted heart even, and knowing this would destroy Samson as well. Don't get me wrong. Remember, I said, Samson made his own choices, but God would step in at certain times to emphasize who was really in control and that he was the God of Israel. There are some very important points to make about Samson's life because it touches all of us today. First, we have to realize that Samson is shown to actually be a believer without a doubt in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. It's only a brief mention, but it does demonstrate in the, from the New Testament that he was in fact a believer. He may, have as well, he may have very well been what the Bible calls in the New Testament a carnal believer, meaning he struggled with the flesh, but he was still a believer. Now, God does not sit over his kids, just waiting to smash them every time they sin, which demonstrates his extreme mercy. He is no respecter of persons, and he did let the chastisement of Samson go through with his capture, and ultimately having his eyes put out. I'm sure that that was not pleasant. God's taking of Samson's eyes was very intentional. That being the lust of the eyes... The very thing that was his hang-up in life, especially, that's what God took. Samson's lust would destroy him. And he is no different from what would happen to us if we acted the same way. Even when we're walking in life, we can sometimes act like Samson. It's so easy to trust in our own strength. We'll have to keep this... Point near and dear to us when Samson's hair was cut representing God stepping away from us because of our sin we might know something was slightly different like Samson did but ultimately we can go out thinking that we can just go out like any other time before not knowing God is not with us if you think about it the three main sin categories are as given in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, in verse 16. It says, quote, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Quote. These are the same categories that Samson failed in with a definite all of the above. Walking and acting in pride is so very, very easy to do. In fact, the person who says that he or she has this totally under control, right. Let's see how you feel after somebody cuts you off on the freeway. The point is, is that it's so easy to have a misstep in the, in your mind, which we then switch from walking in the Holy Spirit to now walking in the flesh while this story is truly something to read, we do have to keep in mind that walking with God is a daily venture. We have to purpose to do so every day until we draw our last breath. We don't attain some sort of holiness to where we're never going to sin again or that we're never tempted with it. We're in fact tempted all of the time. And it's only by walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as the book of Galatians chapter 5 Starting in verse sixteen, says it says, quote, "This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would." End quote. This point is also reiterated in Galatians chapter six and verse eight, which says, "For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit." shall of the spirits reap life everlasting, end quote. There is so much to learn from the life of Samson, but despite his shortcomings, we can have faith that much like Samson, the God of all the universe will not cast us aside. We should all be so very, very grateful and thankful for his mercy and grace. We should learn from the missteps of Samson and strive to be better. That's why we read the story today. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.